so you want to soothe it, mm-hmm. but you want to soothe it by validating it, not by telling it it's going to be okay. So when you tell something or someone, like just relax. <laughs> That's the worst thing you can say to someone suffering from anxiety. Oh my gosh. <laughs> I know. That's never going to work, right? Just yeah. like telling them, it's okay. You're going to be okay when they don't feel okay. Yeah. Chill that out. Doesn't... Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Just chill out. You're going outside of your marriage for an emotionally unavailable person. What is going on there? How, why is that attractive to you? A person wants this SP, this specific person to save them from their current circumstance. So I always say this in two tears. I say, well, you want what you want because you're after a certain state of being or feeling, but you think that thing or circumstance is going to provide for you. And the other side of that coin is that you're trying to get away from how you're feeling right now. I think the more we talk about this, the more people like you are willing to talk about it, uh, and the more people are interested in this topic, I think that's going to, we're seeing a change, I think, especially with what we've observed happening around us the last few years in the world everything seems a little bit crazy popcorn is going off you know it's popping off um it's more important than ever to sort of find find your center in all in the middle of all that and now it's this ai thing everyone's freaked out about people were scared of the car going faster than 40 miles an hour they thought your head would explode or it would you know destroy your insides you know 100 years ago or whatever remember y2k Oh, Y2K, yes. Everything was gonna <laughs> satellites and airplanes were gonna drop out of the sky. Everything yeah. was gonna come to a grinding screeching halt, right? Now it's just we were all stuff like of... waiting as soon as the year two thousand hit. We were like, yes. what's gonna happen? People are always gonna find a reason to freak out. But there's no reason to freak out, guys. It's going to be okay. with Melissa Basie, part two, psychologist from Canada. I think Ontario, you said, right? If I remember Calgary, correctly. Alberta. Calgary, Alberta. Okay. I don't know nothing about Canada. So this is part two. <laughs> in case you missed part one, I'm going to put a link for that down below in the description box. Also, there'll be a link to Melissa's website and you are offering coaching now, right? Yes. Yes. Excellent. How's that been going? It's been good. I actually have a program that I put people through first. So I don't do just one-on-one coaching. I have them go through my course and while they're going through my course, they get coaching with me and then they can continue the coaching afterwards as well. Oh, fantastic. All right. Uh, So they can find all that out in the link. I'll put a link to your website down below. And uh, if you could just send me the link to the proper, I know you had two or something up. So whichever the proper website is. Just attachmentrecovery.com is just the only one that I'm That's gonna... the one. Yeah. Okay. Attachmentrecovery.com. All right. So I was talking to Melissa and we discussed, you know, I'm getting some emails from people. I always get emails from people asking about this and that, usually relationship stuff, specific people stuff. So I asked Melissa and she kindly agreed to, you know, maybe respond to some of these. And I got one recently and uh, I'm going to leave. You know, everybody's going to be anonymous. Hi, Tarkon. Would you mind doing a video? Well, I guess we're doing it right now on manifesting a monogamous relationship with a non-monogamous partner. That's that's an interesting one. In other words, I'm in a serious relationship with someone and it's going very well otherwise, but she dates other people and I just can't be okay with sharing her any longer. I haven't seen this scenario discussed anywhere before. And it seems to carry what I feel is a unique challenge. In most SP scenarios, you'd want to affirm that you're chosen, you're the best, etc. But that doesn't help if your specific person isn't interested in choosing one person, just one person. I suppose the answer is to live in the end, but what would that look like? It seems you'd have to imagine them changing their mind, but we're always told not to change them, but to change yourself. What is the approach for this? So this is a common one. You know, I've been getting a lot of third-party stuff. Uh, people are really interested in this topic. I mean, first and foremost, I know we discussed this in part one very briefly. Why would anyone even want to be with somebody that has a third party? Or if their desire is to be the only person in their life, and, but they don't want that, what's going on there? From your perspective, what's going on there? That's a good point. So I would start to wonder what attracted you to this person in the first place? Because you must have known from the beginning that they were ENM. Um, so what what was it about them that had this person go forward with this? And then I'd want to look underneath that and see what kind of attachment issues it is, I think, about being chosen. 
And if you're choosing someone who's ENM and you're wanting them to be monogamous, it's about wanting to be chosen. And so what would need to happen is that you would need to choose yourself first. And so however that would look, whether it's choosing yourself to be okay with how this person is or choosing yourself and then knowing that person is going to just naturally gravitate towards wanting to spend more time with you to the point where they're no longer seeing other people because they're spending all their extra time with you. I think that's probably the direction I would go in. How about, what do you think? Well, let me ask real quick. What is E&M? You mentioned E&M a couple of times. Is that it? Oh, ethically non-monogamous. Oh, ethically. Right. Okay. All these acronyms. Right. Ethically yes. non-monogamous. So polyamorous, in other words, right? Uh, yeah. I think there's a little bit of a difference between the two. I don't remember what it is, but. Okay. So essentially yes. we're dealing with somebody, two people who have very different ideas about what a relationship even is, right? Yeah. Yeah. yeah and I think a really good point. you mentioned this as well. Why would, why would. I mean, my perspective is always this. Why would you even want to choose somebody, like I said before, who is with somebody else who doesn't want to be with you exclusively if that's what you desire? To me, it seems like this person is settling. And I tend to think from the perspective of, well, I can't seem to do any better than that, right? I think there's, that comes down to the, a, a very limited way of thinking, you know, mm-hmm. because from, a, from a, 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 an abundance point of view, abundance thinking would say, well, there's so many other people out there. Uh, you know, this isn't the only person for me. Maybe uh, I was okay with this at one point in this relationship, but I've changed through the course of a relationship. And now what's important to me is to be monogamous with somebody and to have a partner who is also monogamous. And that is, you know, high on their value list, right? Um, that mm-hmm. I think what I, what I run into, and I get it, when people love each other and this person has been in a relationship with that person for a while, it's difficult to just walk away right? And say, well, I'll be somebody else. But what if that is the answer? You know, and I think that's, I think sometimes part of making it about yourself and really respecting yourself is to say, well, it's it's not good enough for me, right? Uh, The situation. And so why should I settle? And probably people settle, like I said, because they just feel like this is maybe the best I've ever done. I can't imagine doing any better than this person. If I lose them, I'll be alone. And, uh, you know, this is my last chance at happiness. How can I change them and make them fall in line and do what I want them to do? Right. Yeah. That's how I tend to look. That's so low self-worth and, and lackful thinking. I think. What comes to do. I would want to dig into their childhood wounding. I would want to understand what did they see growing up where maybe their mom wasn't being chosen by their dad or their dad wasn't being chosen by their mom. Or, I mean, there's so many different um, things that we could imagine that it is with this person but i'm sure that there is some sort of childhood wounding maybe they maybe this person wasn't chosen by mom or dad and mom and dad were too wrapped up in their own stuff to give this person enough care and attention that they needed for their development um but there's something going on that you want a monogamous relationship yet you've chosen somebody who's openly non-monogamous what's going on there that's like a you thing that is saying there is some wounding there that has not been attended to that needs to be looked at that needs to be healed first and then I would wonder if you're still going to be even attracted to that person after you've healed your wounding yeah absolutely Uh, because I and if you don't heal the wounding and let's say you know he gets out of this relationship uh, I just gave away the gender that's okay Um, if he gets out of this relationship maybe the next one will have the same kind of theme to it. I feel like until you work that out, you're going to run up against similar things in all your relationships, right? I mean, that's what I always mean when I say it, you know, and he said in his email, I know it's not about changing them, it's about changing me. And I would say that because really changing you is what fundamentally attracts the kind of relationship, the kind of circumstances you have in your life anyway, right? So if you... That could be high on your value list. I want a monogamous relationship. But if you haven't, like you said, worked out those issues, you're going to keep attracting people who are maybe on the fence. Maybe they're not even, uh, you know, uh, non-monogamous or, or they, they're wishy-washy about you. I get that a lot, right? Mm-hmm. So the, the question is always, I think a lot of times people ask the wrong question. They go, how can I get this person? Rather mm-hmm. than how can I change my outlook on this fundamentally speaking? And, mm-hmm. and you know, Obviously, there's a pattern going on here, 
And it can't just be the fault of all these other people, right? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, And looking at it through an attachment lens, I would wonder what kind of attachment style this person has. My guess would be an anxious, possibly a disorganized attachment style. Mm -hmm. And they're choosing somebody who's more avoidant. And um, that's something that just repeats over and over from relationship to relationship. So really being able to identify your attachment style, heal your attachment style, come into a secure attachment be a securely attached person so that you can attract a securely attached person, that would be the route that I would go in. I would love to have this person on though, to ask them more questions about their childhood. Yeah. I think he's, he's saying, please uh, keep me anonymous. No identifying. I don't know if he'll ever agree to that, but I'm sure he'll watch this video. I'll definitely let him know about this video, but uh, you know, I think, I think too, well, you mentioned, okay, we talked about this in part one briefly, attachment styles. And you said a very anxious attachment style would attract somebody who's not very committed or is a little bit more, you know, flighty in the relationship. How does that, can you go over that again briefly? Yeah, I'll go over that really quickly. So we have insecurely attached population and securely attached population, and they're broken down into about 50-50. So there's no subcategories of securely attached. So we bring in the insecure attachment styles. There's three insecure attachment styles. There's anxious, avoidant, and disorganized. Mm -hmm. Disorganized is the smallest group out of that insecurely attached population. It's only about 6%. So the other one is avoidant and anxious. And avoidant and anxious usually pair up together. Mm. Yeah. So an anxious attachment style is that needy, desperate, wanting, chasing, and the avoidant is running, um, being emotionally checked out, emotionally numb, that kind of thing. So does the avoidant style, that person sort of, uh, what's the best way to do this? Encourage, maybe even on on an unconscious level, the anxious attachment style person. In other words, their anxiety is kind of just geared up by them being avoidant and kind of detached that it it feeds their anxiety even more right Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. yeah interesting and if any one of those three insecure attachment styles gets into a relationship with a securely attached person they can be brought up to secure attachment Mm. so alternatively they can bring a securely attached person down into insecure attachments but oftentimes it's the other way around so on a very practical level, I'm out there in the dating world, right? You know, I've learned all this from Melissa. And, uh, you know, I'm a, let's say I'm an insecure, I have anxiety, anxious attachment style, and I want to find somebody that's going to compliment me, like you just said. In just a very practical dating sense, I mean, what should I be looking for? What am I, how should I approach that situation? Who do I ask out? What do I look for in terms of, is this the type of personality that I, you know, would be better off with? I mean, it can be difficult for lay people to figure that out right usually attraction is about who you see i mean for men a lot it's who you see it could be chemistry right chemical smells even and things like that there are biological factors but just from that perspective if i'm now going out okay i'm going to find somebody who's more secure right has a more secure attachment style how do i do that how do i go about that yeah so finding somebody who has open communication finding someone who is trustworthy they have good conflict resolution skills they let you know how they feel about you they're they there's no guessing involved they text you back on time they make plans easily they don't seem to be playing any kind of game the only problem with this is that an avoidantly attached person will find a securely attached person boring. Mm, Interesting. Yes. So until you heal your attachment style and you go in and you become your own secure base and you go in and become a securely attached person, you typically are not going to be attracted to a securely attached person, unfortunately. So that person is going to be bored by somebody who's chasing them all the time or who's just texting them off the hook all day long. There's no challenge involved. There's no yeah, well, mystery. it won't be like all day long off the hook. It's just going to be regular texting. Yeah. And that it's just going to be transparency. And that level of transparency is very boring to an avoidantly attached person. I would imagine it's or anxiously. 
Sorry. anxiously attached. I know I'm yes. going to get confused with those terms too. So forgive me. <laughs> but uh, if uh, I feel like that, that's kind of true across the board too, in general, I think in, in sexual and romantic relationships, that there's going to be a little bit, maybe there's always somebody who's a little more interested in the other person than they are in that person. Maybe there's an element of that going on. I know I've read a lot about sort of relationship dynamics over the years and a lot of different coaches will say, especially to men in regards to women, will say, well, women like to figure a guy out. You know, this happens to be a man whose email we read. You know, maybe a lot of men will be way too, you know, they have all their cards on the table and, oh, you're so wonderful. And I really see myself having babies with you and all this kind of stuff, right? Yeah. That a lot of times, and I've seen women talk about this, Ooh, that's that's like a big red flag for them. But it also is, like you said, boring in the sense of that. I don't I want it to play out like a like a love story. I want I want to get to know him a little bit bit by bit, not all at once. And because and maybe there's an element of insecurity. You kind of sense that when someone is just showering you with affection and gifts all the time and attention all the time that you don't really have to work that hard for it. Right. Is that a human thing that we value things more the more unattainable they seem i don't think so because if you look at two securely attached people they can have a really romantic love story as well mm -hmm. they probably have the most romantic love story because they show up for each other through thick and thin right. they don't run and chase and they don't play all the games they don't wear each other out emotionally in the relationship so they've got nothing else to give in the rest of their lives right they're each other's strong person so that they can go out and be the best version of themselves in the rest of their lives. So I think with securely attached people, the ones that pair up and most securely attached people do pair up with securely attached people, which is why you want to become a securely attached person so that you find securely attached people attractive. Right. Um, but there is going to be little ebbs and flows where one securely attached person is going to be a little bit more into their life. And the other one is going to be a little bit more like, Hey, where are you? What are you doing? Uh -huh. um, but then it'll flow back around. And then that person who was, Hey, how are you? What are you doing? They're going to be a little bit more into their life. And then this person's going to come and be that person who's like, where are you? What are you doing? So there is that little ebb and flow with securely attached people, but it's not this like boom, boom. Right. They're not they're not floored or destroyed by the idea of their partners now off doing something else, working on their project or whatever they're doing, yeah. or being with other people, right? And I yeah. think that's that's the kind of, I mean, that aspect of it is what people try to avoid, right? There's that yeah. stalker aspect of it. There's a little bit of that. Ooh, this person's a little creepy right now. You know, they're putting a. GPS, that's extreme, but they're putting a GPS system on my car. They want to know where I'm going. You know, there are a lot of those relationships out there. And yes. I mean, you see, mostly you see that in YouTube and in stories and, and TV programs and things like that, where oftentimes they can end in, in, in a terrible way. Right. Mm -hmm. But, but is that, I always wonder what, because if you say somebody who's securely attached could mm -hmm. also be attracting somebody who's, forget, let me see if I get this right, insecurely attached. Yes, that's right. right. Yeah. How, how do they attract people like that? If they're on this one level and that's kind of where they're putting their focus, I'm securely attached, but I've you know, I got my own thing going on. But here's somebody who suddenly you know, wants all my attention and maybe they were good at disguising themselves at first. Okay. So attachment falls on a spectrum. So there can be like profoundly insecurely attached and then lightly insecurely attached. And so an, a securely attached person is probably going to match up with a lightly insecurely attached person rather than a profoundly insecure attached person. Oh, interesting. Okay. And so these two might pair up and then the secure attached person will pull the insecurely attached person up into security oftentimes. Hmm. That's very interesting. Yeah. And securely uh, attached also falls on a spectrum. There's lightly securely attached and then extremely securely attached and so those people are going to be pairing up with each other the people on in the middle of the spectrum are going to be pairing up that's how we see insecure and secure and then the very insecure down here are going to be pairing up so let's say you're working with some a very insecurely attached person yes and you want to help them become more securely attached right? yes yes how would you do that as a therapist coach for them on a very practical now he asked me you know, what's the approach for this right which could be 
I mean, we could talk about that for days probably, but just yeah. on a basic level, what do you say to them in terms of what they can apply practically to their everyday lives, their behavior, um, meditation? I don't know. I mean, what would you personally recommend for them? So what needs to happen is they need to become their own secure base. So they need to develop a relationship to self. They need to know how to show up for self in really hard emotional times. They probably don't know how to do that. So I have different methods of teaching people how to show up for themselves. Um, But one extremely powerful method is called internal family systems, otherwise known as parts work. And it's about going inside and learning the different parts of yourself and then creating a good relationship with those different parts. So we can have conflicting parts. One part says, I want to go here today. The other part says, I want to stay in today. These two are conflicting parts. And it's about going in and, hey, what's going on over here? Hey, what's going on over here? Looking for some sort of compromise. You're like the parent part. And then all of your other parts are like the little children part. And you need to bring that parental, it's called self energy into the situation. I feel like I'm getting way too technical right now. No, no, this is fine. Because I'll ask you to clarify if I I start getting confused. That's okay. 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 (laughs) Yeah. So basically, you want to bring that kind of parental uh, vibe into the various different parts. And you want to reparent these different hurting parts. Okay. So you're, you're basically approaching, this is something I've heard too, in, in, in manifesting kind of techniques is to, I don't know if you would consider the shadow work or anything like that, but you know, your brain, your mind is always throwing up scenarios, right? Things for us to worry about. Uh, And you might, you know, one of the approaches I've always learned is to soothe those parts of your mind that are throwing up this anxiety or this work. It's because it's usually about the future. So, oh, what if I can't pay my bills next month? Or what if this happens? What if this person dumps me? And, you know, but there are never things that have actually happened or are bound to happen necessarily. We just throw up these scenarios in our minds automatically on default, I feel like. Mm-hmm. And maybe it has a lot to do with what you said, that we learn that in the home as children, too. The way our mm-hmm. parents deal with their issues and worries and anxieties. Mm-hmm. That now we want to sort of treat them like you know, not fight our mind or our ego mind, or I always call it our monkey mind, right? not box it or get upset with it, but to soothe it like you would speak to a a young child, like it's going to be okay. We don't know that that's going to happen. Let's wait and see. Things like this, like you might talk to somebody. Yeah. So you want to soothe it, Mm -hmm. but you want to soothe it by validating it, not by telling it it's going to be okay. So when you tell something or someone like, just relax, (laughs) That's the worst thing you can say to someone suffering from anxiety. Oh my gosh. <laughs> I know. That. That's never going to work, right? Just yeah. like telling them it's okay. You're going to be okay when they don't feel okay. Yeah. Chill that out. Doesn't... Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Just chill out. <laughs> that, that doesn't land because people are not feeling okay. Yeah. So rather validating and saying, hey, you know what? The way you're feeling makes total sense right now. I totally get why you're feeling like that. You've been through this, this, and this. No wonder you feel like this. I'm going to stay right here with you while you feel these feelings. Hmm, interesting. That, yeah. that also gives the person permission to feel those feelings rather than trying to get rid of them, right? Which yeah. is another, I know within the LOA community, the manifested community, there's a lot of kind of discussion about this. I'm on some for I lurk on some forums, by the way, guys. Uh, <laughs> you'll never know I'm there. But yeah. uh <laughs> But I, I often read other people's approaches, right? I'm interested in that. Yeah, but there, I saw a lively discussion on Reddit the other day where people were going back and forth about this. Do your face your demons. And I was like, no, ignore your reality, right? Ignore the old story, quote unquote, right? Um, so that's a, that's a big one, right? Because then you're going, but I think you're right. I mean, if I have anxiety about certain things, then I validate those feelings and I sit with them and I go, okay, yes, I understand why this is here. And oftentimes anxieties will be based on past experiences. So those are valid, right? Those things happen. So yes, my car got broken into that time or my, or this happened. So now I'm anxious about that happening again. Right. So, but that gives you permission to face your issues and your anxieties. I think that's the, does, they're not these boogeymen at that point. They're not these demons to run away from. Right. 100%. It gives us the strength to be able to move through whatever it is we're moving through. 
without it becoming so overwhelming, we have to do a distraction technique, even think good things like working out or meditation. These are great things to do for yourself. But if you're doing it to distract from a difficult feeling that you're not going to become your own secure base, you're going to look to meditation to save you or working out to save you. Meditation doesn't always, it's not always going to be available in the way that you need it. Some days you have good days. Some days you have bad days. Same with working out. So the only thing you can really depend on to save you is yourself. Right. So that, yeah. you know, if I'm anxious and I turn to meditation or working out, it's kind of like reaching for a drink or yeah. something like that. Right. Like, I just want to forget about that right now, but it doesn't work. Yeah, exactly. Mm. I mean, in the psychology world, it'd be called harm reduction. So we definitely mm. recommend that you turn to meditation or working out or having a drink. Well, harm sure. Reduction. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but, but yeah, it serves the same purpose. It's a distraction from what's really going on. And so when you go in and do parts work, that's how you really become, you really sit with your part. You really become one with those emotions coming up. Mm-hmm. Yeah, really important. And then they become manageable or they're just not, they don't run your life. They're not so scary. So what, so what if that happens, right? That's another thing I ask people, what's the worst case scenario here? You know, like I would say with this person, well, okay, so let's say she continues to want to see other people and you don't, what's the worst case scenario? So maybe you decide to go your separate way. So what's, what's, I mean, maybe that would hurt for a while, right? It would be a little bit of a storm in the heart area. But uh, ultimately, isn't that opening you up and her up, finding partners who are more in line with who you are and who she is, right? I mean, I know that's that tends to be a very much an approach of people who have already maybe worked through this kind of stuff, right? Yeah. But is it easy to just go, oh, I'll walk away? It's not easy, right? Yeah. Would you say uh, that's something that you would recommend to somebody? Like, uh, let's say you have a client or a patient that you would say, you know what? I know some psychologists do this, you know, maybe you need to end that situation. Maybe you need to walk away. Maybe that can be okay. And, you know, we'll, I'll walk you through it or I'll be there for you when, you know, when it gets a little tough, but. It's tempting. Um... (laughs) It's tempting. tempting, Yeah. (laughs) It's tempting. But as a psychologist, my job isn't to tell people um, what they should or shouldn't do rather it's to help them through the emotions of what they are going to do. I've gotten, you know, I, I, not every moment as a psychologist is my bright, shiny moment. So yes, there have been times where I have fallen into just being human and been like, you should leave this person. And so often they don't. Right. So it's really, do um yeah and then they have their regrets and then they can blame me and you know so there's all these reasons when people ask should I manifest my ass feedback I say you shouldn't and okay neither option yes or no is the option yes you should go and manifest them back no you shouldn't go manifest them back I'm not saying you should do either or all I'm saying is you should manifest yourself back right Once you manifest yourself back, it'll become abundantly clear whether or not you should manifest your SP back or not. It's so easy to figure it out. So once you're grounded, once you're centered in yourself, then it becomes easy to, to, you gain clarity from that. Yeah. Once you become your own secure base, it it is so clear. Your tastes change. So yeah. You're going to change throughout your whole life. Yeah. Right. I mean, I know looking back on relationships I've had, whether they lasted a couple of months or a couple of years, I know I changed as a result of them. I changed as a result of any experience in my life, right? Yeah. At one point I manifested that relationship and that's what I wanted, mm-hmm. but then I changed, you know, you're not, it's never like Abraham Hicks says, you're never going to get it done, right? It's mm-hmm. never going to be finished. Mm-hmm. You know, as long as you bounce around this planet and you're living and breathing, you're always going to want more things, reach out for more, keep expanding, keep growing, right? Yeah. And people think, no, this is the person, this is for sure, for sure. The person that I want for the rest of my life. It's like, okay, well do the inner work and let's see. And if that's still the person for you, then I a hundred percent support you manifesting them back. Yeah, absolutely. Well, that's, I think a product of our culture too. And the way we're raised is choose the things and then you're going to have those things for the rest of your life. That's going to be your career. This is going to be your wife or husband. 
this is going to be where you live. I think a lot of that, that freaks people out too. Mm -hmm. You know, this, this, mm -hmm. this finality of that, but we have this idea from the very beginning. I think the culture and society has its own reasons for teaching people this, you know, they want nice, uh, dedicated factory workers. I mean, you know, we're in the post-industrial age more or less now, but you know, it's the same kind of thing. We want people to be productive and to stick to what they do and, you know, don't try to change, be happy with what you're given, uh, you know, but people change their careers midlife. They change their partners midlife. You know, I think that's a big part of what people that approach me with these questions too are going, well, this, like I said, this is the best one. This is the one I'm going to settle on. I don't want, I'm never going to change. I'm never gonna, not going to want them. Uh, you know, I'm never going to not want to live in this town or have this career. And that could be the case. I mean, that happens too. But I think people put themselves in this box, themselves in this box. Yes. And they drag that other person into that box with them. Well, now they have to meet these parameters, right? These rules that I've set up for yes. why they're the perfect, why aren't you the perfect person? You're not acting like the perfect partner, you know? Yeah. And instead, I mean, if you believe in the manifesting techniques, if you really want them to fit in that box, you can just manifest a person to fit in that box. Right. And it's probably going to be easier to manifest a random person to fit in the box because you don't have all of these um, negative beliefs around them already. Absolutely. I did this. I don't know if I covered this in the last video or not. I talk about this something, but, uh, and I'll repeat myself a lot, but uh, years ago, maybe 10 years ago, this happened. I mean, I was kind of hung up on this one person. Um, and it was, it was a similar scenario, you know, well, she, she liked me. I liked her more than she liked me. And I, that's when I really started getting into this SB stuff and reading all these books and blogs and watching videos about it. And one of the things I did was, well, let's just forget about her or it being her or the name. Let's just write down what's, who's my ideal partner at this point, at that stage in my life, what do I want now? And I wrote down everything to the tiniest detail, what she looked like, what her smile was like even uh, her sexual preferences, uh, you know, what she does for a living. She has her own car, right? I wanted that. She has her own job, you know, all these things. I just kept writing and writing and writing. And I would read that every day for maybe a week or two. Mm -hmm. And each thing I wrote down, I really felt it, you know, like this is something I really want. I want, oh, I want that, right? And then I forgot about it. It just became sort of tedious to read that every day. And then that summer I went off to another country for a few months and I came back. And uh, as soon as I came back, I, this person had already been in my life, but we just plugged right into each other. We started dating for about three months and it was very stormy, very romantic, not stormy in a negative way, but very romantic, very heated. Right. Yeah. Um, and sometime in the middle of that, I found this entry I had made, you know, a couple months prior, <laughs> forgot yeah. all about it. I was kind of cleaning up around the house and I thought, oh, look at this. This is funny. And I sat down and read it and I got goosebumps because she was hitting all the points. You know, nine out of 10 of the points she was hitting boom, 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 you know, but then, and then, you know, a couple more months and that thing fell apart because like what we discussed, she wasn't hitting. It wasn't that she wasn't hitting those points anymore. The points had changed, right? Yeah. What was important to me had changed because now I've manifested this. Well, now I want more, but this person wasn't the one to meet those new standards, right? Those new desires that I had, uh, now worked out in myself but i think it's important for everyone to revisit those lists and i tell people to make those lists yes. so what do you want i think every few months you should sit back down with it because you're going to be a different person even if it's just a little bit yeah. and what you thought was important six months ago or a year ago might not be important now now that's something a else really good point yeah. yeah i really like that and it's not to say that we can't desire one person for the rest of our life we can right. and it doesn't mean there's anything wrong with that and that we're always going to outgrow them we can manifest that we're always growing together, right. but yeah. So I don't want us to come across as saying like one person forever isn't. No, Yeah. I don't want to say that either. That's perfectly. And I mean, that's what people used to do. Our grandparents did that, right? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, through wars and famine and depressions, yeah. right. And disease. I mean, yeah. I think most of our ancestors going way back did that. Right. I, but I think in our, current world there's so many so much opportunity to meet people from we have yeah. the internet to meet people from canada from australia from europe and here i am or i'm in russia or wherever i am yeah and you know i don't think our ancestors i mean they lived in villages you know most of them didn't leave their village their entire lives right? yeah exactly so it was easier for them to just go oh I'll stick i guess i'll stick with that guy <laughs> you know <laughs> oh 
I, maybe I can teach him how to brush his teeth or, you know, whatever it is that's bothering me. But, uh, and their but, lifespans were a lot shorter as well. So they were committing to like 40, 50, 60 years, whereas now we are committing to 70, 80, 90 years. Right. Ooh, that mm-hmm. seems daunting too. 90 years. <laughs> <laughs> Seriously. It's, it's true. Now the, the whole dynamic shifts of how you develop as a person. You know, they say, mm-hmm. well, 30 is the new this or 40 is the new that. Yeah. There's something to be said about that. I think now people at 30 are so so much more, I don't want to use the wrong word. Let's say youthful. Let's say, you know, teenager-like than people at 30 were 50 years ago or even 30 years ago. Yeah. yeah. You see it's those true. old movies. You see those actors. You know, they all look like they're 60. And then you find out, no, they were like 35 at that time. Yeah. <laughs> like 18-year-olds look like 35-year-olds. And yeah. they're like... They're acting like 35-year-olds now. It's like 35-year-olds acting like 18-year-olds. Yes, it's so strange. I see it here where I live all the time. This is like town. They said the 90s are still alive in, in Portland. <laughs> and it's, it's true. I see 50-year-olds riding around on skateboards. I call them oh, douchebags, wow. but you know, uh, yeah, it's every, you know, they're like, whatever. What do you do? I'm a bartender. I, I work at a coffee shop. They don't care. And yeah. that's perfectly okay, you know. It's it like is, yeah. Some people just, that's what they want to do the rest of the life. They're fine doing that. They don't want to yeah. do anything else. They don't want millions. They don't want this. You know, they're perfectly okay. This is somebody here. Um, I'm a beginner in manifesting and learn a lot. I've learned a lot. I think English is not their first. Now I'm working hard at living in the end state and pushing out all the negative emotions. I'm wondering if when I'm manifesting the specific married man, already married, because we love each other and we fell in love as children, and just now he found me, uh, I guess they reconnected, but we both are married. He's got children. Uh, He moved further away from me, uh, so we can't meet regularly. Um, We write regularly, so to make it more complicated, he's emotionally unavailable. So he's closed off now. Um, So the question is, can I also manifest mini goals like he will contact me regularly or that he wants to meet up with me soon or that he will change and open himself to me more, uh, be more emotionally available? Um, Can I make different manifestations all about my main goal? Uh, This is confusing. Uh, Having a loving relationship with him with full love and happiness. Uh, I think what she's asking is, can she, this, I get this a lot too. She wants to manifest, she wants to control every aspect of the process. Yeah. So I get this a lot. Well, how do I manifest him breaking up with her? And how do I manifest him texting me? And how do I manifest him kissing me? I get this a lot. You know, I always go, well, going to the end means going to the end, right? It doesn't mean every step of the way. I mean, if you're going to manifest something there, you have to be able to and willing to give up a certain measure of control over mm-hmm. the process right and mm-hmm. people find that very difficult to do mm-hmm. and the monkey mind wants to no i i will figure this out i will do this and maybe there's an ego aspect of it of, i can do this let me let me run the show because you know i'm going to prove that i can do this um uh, but i think people it's it's almost like and you can chime in from your psychologist's perspective it's almost like the need to control circumstances is a part of what helps people or they think it helps them calm down maybe this is person obviously coming from uh, an insecure anxiety attachment right so is I there an would element wonder, of- yeah we've got two issues here we've got first of all they're both in other marriages so that's kind of like okay what's going on in your current marriage that's making you want to go outside of your marriage i get that it was a childhood love so mm-hmm. i would want to explore that mm-hmm. the second thing i'd want to explore is you're going outside of your marriage for an emotionally unavailable person. What is going on there? How, why is that attractive to you? Mm -hmm. And this is probably a classically anxiously attached person who has an anxious attachment style derives their self-worth from getting love from the external world, Mm -hmm. getting that love from others. So we really, what we would need to do, is teach this person how to become their own secure base 
And once they become their own secure base, it'll become clear to them if they want to stay in their marriage or if they want to pursue this other person and everything falls into place once they become their own secure base and they become their own secure base by listening to their different parts, working with those different parts as they flare up and showing up for yourself in those ways. Is it easier, do you think, and I don't want to encourage anyone to, like you said before, I don't want to encourage anyone to leave their marriage or whatever it is, but can it be easier for a person of this kind of attachment style to be alone, to do that more as a single person? You know, like in this case, if they're married to somebody, obviously there's an issue in the marriage, I imagine, right? Yeah. Maybe it was an arranged marriage. I don't know if it's a cultural thing that can happen too, but Mm -hmm. that, even that, right? Um, Mm -hmm. I mean, is it? Is it difficult for somebody to really be in a partnership like this in a marriage they want to get out of and really work on that, on their self and that on themselves in that way? Is it difficult for them to get to that point? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, they're going to have to work on their logistics of how they would get to that point. It would be so much easier if they were on their own, but they are where they're at. So yeah. they need to kind of make it work within that context. Either way, the work is the same. It's just that in uh, in one situation, this situation, you've got people triggering you on a more of a regular basis. Whereas if you're on your own, you can control how often you're triggered. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I've dated within the polyamory community before. And yeah. I remember when I first, I met a woman who was married. They had been married over 20 years. They had a, a grown son and they seemed to be to me, at least at that time when I met them, very secure in their marriage. And I ended up dating this woman for a few months. And, you know, she told me, she told me in the community, there's a joke. And the joke is, you know, if your relationship isn't working, just get another one. <laughs> Which is a joke because it never works, right? Yeah. So, and I bring that up because in this, I see elements of this. It's almost like she, maybe she sees this other man as rescuing her from this situation of her unhappy marriage. And yes, like you said, it's a childhood attachment, but that maybe that ties into, now I'm doing some armchair psychology here, forgive me, but maybe that ties into that being an issue from her childhood as well. So there's a regressing, maybe a little bit of a wanting to regress or start over, right? Before all the mistakes, quote unquote, uh, right? But this element of rescue me, and I get this a lot, This, this is what I wanted to get into earlier when I had a little brain issue was that I get this a lot from from that the person wants this SP, this specific person to save them from their current circumstance. So I always say this in two tiers. I say, well, you want what you want because you're after a certain state of being or feeling that you think that thing or circumstance is going to provide for you. And the other side of that coin is that you're trying to get away from how you're feeling right now. Mm -hmm. Right. So, Mm -hmm. and I see a lot of that, like either I'm lonely and single and it's been so long that if if this person were to just love me and give me validation, I could feel good about myself. I could feel secure about myself, but that's putting so much pressure on that other person. Mm -hmm. No, no person can ever fulfill that for you. Mm -hmm. Right. That's a Mm -hmm. never ending job and nobody wants that job 24 seven. Right. Yeah. And so it sounds to me a little bit of an aspect of that going on too, that this person, you probably meet a lot of people who are also very afraid of being single right they jump from one relationship to the other i mean they break yeah. up with one person or they're monkey branching that's a term that's often used right oh yeah yeah that would so, be like an anxiously attached person definitely going from relationship to relationship yeah so that, yeah. that's i mean that's what i would look at her i would say well you maybe learning to be alone you know how does somebody do that like you said and i know you know like you said before getting okay with yourself and doing that work but mm-hmm. but really really I say to people, and we're talking about meditation and working out things like that. And, you know, people come to me too with a lot of questions about uh, uh, all these techniques, yeah. scripting, visualizing. And I always say the same thing. I say, do it when you're not feeling anxious. Do it when you're already feeling calm. Yes. Or centered a little bit. Now, don't do it because you think it's a button you're going to press or it's a magic wand and it's going to fix how you're feeling right now. Because mm-hmm. that's, it's only going to highlight how you're feeling right now more if you do it that way, I think. It backfires. That's such a good call that I, yeah, I've never thought to tell anyone to do it when they're not feeling down. That's such a good idea. It's not my original idea. I mean, I've heard that from other coaches, just okay. you know, clarification, but I, really I find good. it true in myself. You know, I've done that where, you know, maybe I'll have money worries or all now I'm going to manifest, I'm going to affirm I have money. I'm a millionaire. It never works. 
right? Yeah. Especially where you go so far above what your mind is believing or willing to accept right now as a possibility, yeah. right? So mm-hmm. there's another element of, well, let's take it in state. So I can manifest $500, right? Is that believable? Yeah. I can manifest $1,000. Is that believable, right? So you keep upping the ante a little bit. But I get so many people going, writing me going, I, you know, I met, I affirmed 200 times today. And yesterday I affirmed for, you know, six hours. And, and sometimes it's that extreme. And I'm thinking, wow. what else are you doing with your day? What else are you just sitting around all day thinking, I got to do this. I got to do this. I got to do this. You know, they love me. They love me. They love me. And it's like, no, don't shut up and go outside for God's sakes. You know, yeah. <laughs> Go take a walk, find something you're passionate about. What are you passionate about? What what else is there in your life that you can have love for? That maybe isn't a person even, but a thing or an activity or, you know, what is it that people are so afraid of being alone? I mean, yeah, well, I would question if there's an underlying anxiety disorder or even OCD there. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I see. So OCD from... Okay, so you think they're going to be have that OCD aspect in other areas of their lives as well, not just when they're affirming or yeah, I'm yeah. going to meditate for six hours. Okay. Yeah, but OCD flares up when anxiety is flared. So what we yeah. need to do is reduce the anxiety levels and then start getting everything worked out and squared right. away. Right. So, and then you, like you said, that's, you know, part of that is validating the anxiety, right? It's saying, it's okay. I understand where it's coming from. Yeah, it makes total sense. You're allowed yeah. to feel that way. I see why you would feel that way. You've been through this. You've been through that. You've been through this. Yeah. It makes so much sense. And I'm going to stay here with you while you feel that way. Another and method. Like, oh, I'm sorry. Yeah. Go ahead. Oh, just like noticing like where in your body you feel it. So, oh, that's a tight chest or that's a racing heart. That's a pit in your stomach. All right. And really being yeah. with those different physiological sensations is how you stay with yourself while you feel those feelings. Yeah, that's very interesting. And I, I've heard this from uh, some authors in the past. I can't remember names right now, but the shadow work aspect of also just sitting with those feelings that are bothering and letting them play out. It's almost like if you're having an anxious moment, let the anxiety just be there. Let it move through you. Yeah. In other words. It's not going to last, right? Yeah. Give it as much time as it needs and just sit down and you can breathe a little bit and try to relax, but, but let it just be there and look at it rather than avoiding it or trying to run away from it. I think in our culture, maybe you can chime in as a psychologist, especially in that field, mm-hmm. there's mm-hmm. a tendency to kind of go, oh, you're feeling anxious. Here's a pill, right? Mm-hmm. Oh, you're feeling depressed. Here you go. Take that. Right. Mm-hmm. And I think mm-hmm. maybe there are a lot of psychiatrists who kind of will just use that as a, you know. I guess that helps, you know, they'll say that helps calm the person down. So then we can do the other work right around the issues they're having. It's true. Do you think there's sometimes a tendency (laughs) in general in our culture to just kind of dampen feelings and emotions, right? Get rid of them. For sure. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I think even a lot of psychologists will teach you, oh, just go for a run, take a hot bath, do distraction. Mm -hmm. I don't understand how that gets to the root of the problem. It doesn't. If I'm anxious and I'm taking a hot bath, then I'm just sitting in a hot bath being anxious. I mean, that's how <laughs> well, maybe it relaxes my body and my muscles a little bit more, just the heat yeah. of the water. But then I'm sitting there. Now I'm anxious in a hot bath, right? Now, yeah. now I'm anxious running. I mean, <laughs> yeah. I remember when this whole uh, pandemic thing started and, you know, the first few weeks, everybody's anxious. None of us knows what's going on. How's this going to play out? We know nothing about this thing. Mm-hmm. Just wear masks, avoid each other. And I used to walk down the street to the grocery store a few blocks away. And I could see people are like a mile block away, just jumping, you know, into the street when they saw me approach. <laughs> it's just sort of this, and they're jogging everywhere. And it was the beginning of springs. So we've been cooped up all winter, right? But I used to laugh about this. I'm like, this is what people do. They just kind of, no, there's somebody coming, right? Yeah. I better jump, jump away, hide in the bushes. Right? <laughs> <laughs> but this is our approach as people, I think, to things that, that life in general, life is anxiety inducing. There's going to be things that are going to make you, because we can't predict certain things. I think that's the biggest anxiety inducing factor for people in life. Like, we want to see what's around the corner. We want yeah. things to be predictable, right? I think yeah. that's why people always will go also to tarot readers and psychics and mm. not that those people have nothing to offer. I think their main mm. talent is in reading your energy in the moment. Right? Mm. 
Yes. And often their own energy is the tarot reader, but people want that. I want to know what's going to happen. Mm-hmm. And that's a frustrating aspect of this manifesting stuff because you have to rely on your faith, right? And you have to rely on reading your feelings and looking at the signs of what's coming in and what's happening if you're on the path. And I tell people, I like this emotional guidance scale approach for things. So that you're, you have an inner being that's guiding you that way. That's letting you know through your emotions. If you're anxious, well, then you're th- what are you thinking about that's making you anxious right now? Or you're depressed. What are you thinking about that's making you depressed right now? And then you can nip it in the bud almost before it grows into something bigger. You can sort of go, okay, well, what's easy for me to think about? This is Abraham Hicks, right? Yeah. yeah. Um, so I think, you know, there is a way to do that, but you have to become so self-aware, mm-hmm. right? And that's another thing that freaks people out, I think, looking at themselves. Well, a little trick for doing that would be to just take a few deep breaths, ground into your body and feel the physical sensations in your body. That will tell you so quickly what's going on and what needs to be attended to. It'll show you anxiety, depression, any kind of fears, anything. So if I do that, and then let's say I feel that in my stomach area, Mm -hmm. what Mm -hmm. is that telling me exactly then? What can I, what can I get out of that? So then you bring all your conscious awareness out of your head and down into the stomach area and you let it know that you're there and you ask, you let it know that you're there to help. And then you begin to ask it, what's going on? What's wrong? And it'll just, if you listen, if you stop to listen and you don't use your brain, but you just listen to what it's about to say, it'll just give you a one word answer or one sentence answer. It's always very quick, very to the point. And it'll bring up like, oh, last week, so-and-so said this, and it's still on my mind. And it's like, what? Really? Yeah. Yeah. It's just like, I I wasn't thinking about that at all. But yeah, I mean, come to think of it, that doesn't feel good. It's running in the background. Yeah. Yeah. It's like all, yeah. So that thing happens. Let's say somebody, you know, kicked you off in the supermarket. This happened to me a few months ago. Somebody yeah. started yelling at me at the supermarket. That's another oh. interesting story. No, it yeah. was funny. You know, I treated it as humorous, but I, I, somehow we imagine I was kind of pushing past him because he was lumbering on his phone and I was sort of in a hurry, but you know, I, I didn't touch him or, or run into him or anything. I just sort of pushed past him and uh, behind me, I hear him go asshole. Right. And I thought, okay, I don't know what that's about. Right. But then he yeah. sort of followed me around the store. <laughs> he sort of followed me around the store. Like you could have really said, excuse me. And I said, listen, I don't know what you're talking about. I mean, I'm just, <laughs> I was just moving past you uh, and you were sort of, you know, he had his girlfriend with him or whatever. And uh, she was very busy and very much present and focused. And you could tell he was just sort of like along for the ride. You know? Yeah. And I just thought, and I just started laughing at him, you know, and then I noticed some of the workers there laughing as well. Cause now we're having this exchange of the store. I think this is the most ridiculous thing I've encountered in a long time. But the way I looked at it was just like, well, this is going to happen. You know, mm-hmm. you're going Maybe that day I was sort of on a very much a trip of everyone just get out of my way, right? I'm, I got mm-hmm. a lot of things to do. And I do that. Ask my girlfriend. I'm one of those drivers, you know, yeah. come on, lady, you know, how long you had your driver's license? But I, I find pleasure in it. It makes her anxious, but I'm like, I'm doing this for fun because, you know, yeah. <laughs> you can't hear me. I'm not yelling at them directly, but I can see how I attract things through my anxiety. Maybe I had even a little bit of anxiety of going outside sometimes i have that you know i i'm very much a homebody but i can also be very outgoing but it has to be the right kind of circumstance for me and uh i can see how then i attracted somebody who was sort of on that same level energetically speaking right Mm. maybe he was anxious too about being out there in public (laughs) maybe he's got issues with that going Mm. on so he thought he was being accosted when he wasn't Mm. and he had this overreaction to it my girlfriend gets uh um migraines i get stomach issues when I'm very anxious. Right. So I think there's also everyone's body kind of expresses that anxiety differently, right. Through different areas of the body. Some people will start to affect their muscles. They'll have aches and pains or their back. Well, I know that there's some healing practitioners who assign like, Oh, if you get migraines, that means you're overly in this area of your mind. If you get stomach issues, you're overly in this area of your mind. I haven't necessarily found that in my practice that like specific symptoms indicate specific anxieties or they correlate to exact things, but they do correlate 
to some sort of nervous system dysregulation. Mm. And so absolutely when people come in with migraines or irritable bowel syndrome or arthritis or any of the kind of autoimmune issues, um, fibromyalgia, all that kind of stuff, I think it comes from a dysregulated nervous system. And when we learn how to work with our nervous system, get it back into regulation when it's out of regulation, then we're going to find a lot more freedom around um, those physical um, symptoms. So we find other channels for them, basically. Yeah, exactly. Mm -hmm. And then that issue kind of just resolves itself because we no longer need that as a channel to express that or to store that. Yeah. That anxiety. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I'm trying to, I'm trying to understand all this. Uh, <laughs> yeah. You're getting it. And you're like making stuff. me understand it better too. Oh, so. good. Excellent. Yeah. I hope it, I hope it's working for the, uh, <laughs> <laughs> they're all very smart and they listen very well. Um, awesome. <laughs> one, I wanted to kind of segue into something briefly because it came up in my mind earlier. Hypnotherapy. Maybe we, I don't know if we talked about this in part one or not, but hypnotherapy so. uh, from your perspective. And this is something I've, thought about exploring for myself uh, in terms of being a practitioner of this maybe down the road but i tend to think you know people do the um binaural beats and the affirmations a lot on online right there's tons of that on youtube where they just plug in they do this uh, what neville goddard says the uh, state akin to sleep kind of yeah. thing right where they get i don't know what that is in terms of brain waves that always confuses me alpha delta whatever that is what do you think about though that what do you think about hypnotherapy is it effective um what do you think about those kind of binaural or subliminal kind of uh, messaging does do you think from your psychologist standpoint is that effective is that something that can really help people i think it's effective if you believe it can be effective mm. if there's some part of you inside that can believe, get on board with it then it can be effective i myself have tried hypnotherapy i've I've done SATs, I've done binaural beats, and I like binaural beats. I like how SATs make me feel, um, but a hypnotherapy never really did much for me. It didn't give me the desired outcome that the therapist thought it would give me. Okay, interesting. I, so really, just I never come, really believed in it. So it does all come down to belief, doesn't it? It does. It's limiting belief system. This is the big one, isn't it? Yeah. I had another, I was consulting with another therapist a couple of weeks back and she was telling me all about hypnotherapy and how great it was with her clients and all this kind of stuff. And I was like, oh, no. <laughs> okay, keep going. Yeah. <laughs> do, do <talk. laughs> well, what about those people that it does help them? So what, what does one have to believe? I mean, where does that belief come from? I mean, well, it, you can believe in the practitioner, you can believe in the method, you can believe that it happened for somebody else. So it can happen for you. It, it really can work. It can be powerful. Um, but I think some part of you has to be on board with it. Yeah. Right. Mm. So being open-minded to it, at least, right. Yeah. That it can, can work for you. Yeah. And that just showed my like closed mindedness when she was telling me about it. Um, well, I don't think it was closed-minded. You had tried it already. It wasn't something that worked for you, right? It's true, no. but it's worked yeah. for other people. Yeah, sure. Yeah. Right. So we wouldn't recommend it one way or the other, just based on what you believe. Try it out, right? Well, I know when I was studying for my, this was validating. When I was studying for my licensing exam, it asked, it, there was um, just in the study material about hypnotherapy and they talk about how it is something that psychologists will do, mm-hmm. but it is not something that has been formally validated. Okay. So. Interesting. Mm-hmm. So are hypnotherapists kind of like the redheaded stepchildren? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> There's probably a lot of that going on too in any discipline, a little bit of ego going, well, I know I'm a, I'm a real psychotherapist. I don't know what kind of woo woo stuff you're doing. Right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I don't want to threaten my methodology. <laughs> yeah, exactly. uh, yeah. That's, that's institutional institutionalization and, and right. Yeah. That sandbox <laughs> effect, especially in academia. <laughs> um, I would love to meet somebody out there. Now you're unique. You know, psychologist who's willing to talk about law of attraction and all this stuff that maybe in your field, we've touched on this before, but I would love to meet like a, quantum physicist is going to tell me, yes, you can manifest. Oh, absolutely. I'm looking for these people out there. I know they're out there. Yeah. But it's so it's so scary for a lot of people in their field to, you know, to be found out by their colleagues, their yeah. institution. 
there's so much, uh, you know, they almost get the, that scarlet letter put on them a little bit, right? You're crazy. We're not going to deal with you anymore. Yeah. No, 100%. Absolutely. Yeah. It does take a certain level of bravery. That's for sure. Yeah. Well, yeah. I think the more we talk about this, the more people like you are willing to talk about it. Uh, and the more people are interested in this topic, I think that's going to, we're seeing a change, I think, especially I think with so. what we've observed happening around us the last few years in the world everything seems a little bit crazy popcorn is going off you know it's popping off um it's more important than ever to sort of find find your center in all in the middle of all that yeah. uh and to see am i really a victim here of my circumstances of life is there really this external sort of there's me and there's it happening to me right I think more and more people who maybe didn't even entertain those ideas are coming to these ideas. I get more and more uh, emails and comments from people saying, I'm new to this. I'm new to this. And I always go, I have a little cheer in my head. I'm like, Good. Thank God. You know, so maybe a week ago or a month ago, you're like, eh. you know, there's always a driving <laughs> factor, some extreme circumstances going on, you know, that drives yeah. people to find answers. Right. Yeah. Um, so there's usually, for most people, it's going to be, oh, they're, they're out of money, they're broke, the, the relationship is falling apart, they got fired from their job, you know, or mm -hmm. just in general life just seems to be dumping on them, you know, mm -hmm. this is going wrong, that's breaking. Um, so what's going on? I think more and more people, I think, are reaching out. And I think that's a good thing. I think we're going to see over time people realizing that they don't need to rely so much on what other people are doing or not doing. Mm -hmm. that's another mm -hmm. big issue in our culture, trying to change everybody, right? Yeah. You must yeah. think what I think. You must, you know, you know you're in yeah. the wrong party. You support the wrong team. <laughs> I used to be Luckily, in that yeah. it's not, that's kind of like fading out and dying out. Um, yes. But if you listen to popular spiritual, like spiritualists or channelers, and they're all saying that we're in the middle of a great shift. So right. it's no wonder that people are waking up to all of this. I hear that a lot. The great shift. Yeah, and I always think, yeah. well, I think the great shift has always been going on since the beginning of time. <laughs> you know, we're always shifting, aren't we? <laughs> but yeah, I think but they, if you know, think about like how our say great grandparents, like if you go back to say around like the 1300s to say around the 1700s, they all generally lived kind of the same. They had kind of the same lifespan, kind of the same access to information. Yeah. There wasn't a huge difference, like grandparents weren't so out of touch with grandchildren they had the same lifestyles but now i mean i know my grandma was completely out of touch with what i was into mm -hmm. and i'm sure her yeah so does that make sense yes absolutely also the changing of technology yeah right yeah. and and the things that it, it's so hard to keep up i mean even at my age i remember the i, I grew up wow, or coming of age when the internet there was no internet yet right? yeah I yeah. saw that transition and then I saw the internet change into this whole other thing. It just kept changing and changing and more exponentially faster and faster. And yeah. now it's this AI thing. Everyone's freaked out about I, But I'm just going, well, what, what's there to be scared of? I mean, I don't, you know, people were scared of the car going faster than 40 miles an hour. They thought your head would explode or it would, you know, d destroy your insides, you know, a hundred years ago or whatever. Right? Remember but, Y2K? Oh, Y2K. Yes. Everything was going <laughs> to satellites and airplanes are going to drop out of the sky. Everything yeah. was going to come to a grinding, screeching halt. Right. Now it's we just were all stuff like of... waiting as soon as the year 2000 hit. We were like, yes. what's going to happen? <laughs> yes. Oh, computers are controlling everything. It's like AI. Oh, my goodness. And in five, 10 years, no one's going to be talking about this stuff anymore. It'll just be a thing that's incorporated into our lives, like everything else, and we'll make it work for us. And sometimes it'll work against us, but that's just all subjective anyway, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 100%. yeah. Things change. You have yeah. typewriters, now you have computers, now you have this stuff. Yeah. People yeah. are always going to find a reason to freak out, but there's no reason to freak out, guys. It's going to be okay. All right. Yeah. So, guys, we're going to, we're asking you to do something to participate. Our next chat with Melissa, and we're going to announce that as it occurs or as we get closer to that, once we work that out, we want to ask, answer some of your questions. So if you could send your questions, if you want to participate, send us your emails and we can read your question in the podcast. We're going to do a live down the road. Again, it's to be announced when that happens, uh, but you should send your questions in now if you want to participate. Yep. Manifestation.lab at gmail.com. You'll find that down below also in the description box. So we'd love to have you guys 
on a live chat with us together, Melissa and I, answering your questions. You can look at them as little mini coaching sessions, maybe even. I think it'll be a blast. Yeah. So if you got those burning questions, you've watched Melissa now, twice now. Um, and if you haven't, do it, damn it. And uh, <laughs> links down below to part one, watch it. And yes. uh, you can participate. Yes? Yeah, absolutely. Wow. Yeah, ask idea. your questions. Include a little bit of your um, childhood background. That always helps for my benefit. <laughs> yeah, Melissa's going to dig deep under the hood. <laughs> yes, I will. going <laughs> will be an oil change and the whole thing and, and a transmission flush and everything's going to happen. <laughs> All right. Melissa, this has been great as always. It's been amazing. Thank you so much. Yeah. And so if you want to find me, just head, head over to attachmentrecovery.com. Okay. Attachmentrecovery.com. I'll, I'll drop a link for that down below as well. Perfect. All right. Thank you. See you next time, guys. Bye, guys. All right. Excellent.